0: welcome to Transition T, the podcast dedicated to demystifying the world of transition and activation planning. I'm your host, Christina Olavidia, Director of Business Development and Communications at Yellowbrick Consulting. Today, I'm really excited. I have Ellen Camarano from CAC Medicine of USC joining us. Ellen, welcome to the podcast. Can you please provide our listeners an introduction to you?
1: Sure, of course. Thank you so much, Christina. So excited to be here. Uh, My name is Ellen Camerano, and I am, as of this week, a program manager of Service Line Planning and Operations at Keck Medicine of USC. But how I got into the world of transition and activation is I was an administrative fellow at Keck Medicine of USC and got pulled into the opening of our brand new Center for Advanced Endoscopy and got to work really closely with Christina and the Yellow Brick team to get us a lot closer to opening our brand new center. So I've learned a lot and I'm so excited.
0: Well, we certainly are uh, excited to have you on today. Um, Today, Ellen, we are drinking Saigon chai tea, which I think is perfect. It's fall officially. Um, Ellen and I both had to be up super early today to be at USC to conduct a mock licensing survey. So I think the caffeine in this is perfect. I appreciate it on this late afternoon. So cheers. Cheers. Delicious. Um, So listeners grab a cup and let's talk transition. So Ellen, you recently earned your master's of public health uh, just a little bit a while, a little bit ago. Um, can you share what led you to pursue a career in healthcare?
1: Yeah, sure. So I have always been really interested in healthcare and medicine and well-being as a whole, but I never had that passion for the hard sciences. And it was really once I was in college taking classes on organizational behavior that I realized that there was an opportunity to combine that passion for healthcare and medicine with my interest in the field of business. Um, And I really wanted that population health background. So I decided to do my master's in public health degree and then just really looked for internships and other opportunities along the way that kept me rooted in healthcare administration. And I think my favorite part of healthcare admin is just how many opportunities and different roles there are within the industry itself.
0: Very interesting. Um, so for those unfamiliar with population health, can you tell us what's unique about that specific area?
1: Sure, so population health tends to really focus on the health of all people and how we can really make, um, really make changes at a higher level, whether it's legislative, policy-driven, or even health system-wide, it can really impact the health of all of our patients or all of our population. Um, so really focusing on the root causes of people's health, whether that's societal, environmental, as well as the actual healthcare and medicines they receive.
0: Well, that sounds amazing. We've seen a lot of growth in that specific you know buzzword of population health as we begin to work with organizations, specifically not in really um, you know high population cities and those that have targeted, specific patient populations they serve based on their area and region, et cetera. So it's been very interesting for us at Yellowbrick to learn more about population health. And it's great that you have that background because, you know, I, we're, I think we're just going to see that trend grow and grow. Um, I so, so. so before jumping into project management and, and activation, I know you had one project before this big one you're working on right now, um, but what did you know about the field?
1: Yeah, it's so interesting. I really knew nothing about the field of transition and activation. Um, I had a good sense of what project managers do day to day and how that can be applied across a variety of different types of projects. But it really took a ton of preparation and meetings with your team to understand all the work that needs to happen to really operationalize a new healthcare facility.
0: So in your opinion, um, could you define now that you've had you know a year and a half plus under your belt? Um, what it is, really, in a nutshell.
1: Yeah, I think I would break down the two into the transition period, really being that post construction phase where you're figuring out, okay, now that construction's done, how do we actually make this look like a healthcare facility? And I think the activation process is really moving from ordering all of the materials, figuring out what those workflows are, and really operationalizing them in this new physical space that you're just seeing for the first time.
0: So we really work hand in hand in construction, we're usually there learning a lot of new and different things as we go along about the project, probably more than we want to know about you know how to contract things et cetera. Um, can you share some classes or any experience that you found beneficial now that you're in this role that you would recommend to others.
1: Yeah, so I think one of the most beneficial experiences that I had um, coming into this role was really working in sourcing and supply chain. Um, During graduate school, I worked at New York Presbyterian, and specifically during the summer of 2020, I was thrown into projects related to PPE and sourcing. And I think seeing firsthand the domino effect of COVID and those supply chain issues really prepared me to work on a project that so heavily does report what does rely on the procurement of equipment, um, especially since so much of that equipment is custom designed or it's coming from overseas, um, being able to anticipate those long lead times and create both short and long-term plans to operationalize the space was really key. Um, I also think just working with different vendors was really key for me, um, just because there's so much to track when it comes to the vendors, not only the equipment, but also the training and also having them come on site to fix issues along the way. being able to build those relationships was really key.
0: Well, I think supply chain right now, um, I think all of us in healthcare, all of us probably in any field are feeling the crunch, right? Um, You're seeing these really extended lead times on things that we've never seen this long of a lead time for printers being one of them, Um, you know, chips for sure are impacting us as a healthcare system across the nation. Um, Any tips or tricks that you learned in your experience, any recommendations for people to mitigate some of those, you know, concerns later on in the project?
1: I think all you can do is be as prepared as possible. So whether that means asking those questions right from the beginning of what's the lead time right now, what is it looking like, to also, like I mentioned, creating those shorter term contingency plans to be able to to be successful in a space, even when you don't have everything you originally anticipated.
0: Very good. Always good to have a plan A, B, C, and probably D, E, F, and so on and so forth. Um, So for those maybe that don't know what a transition and activation project manager does on the client side, I'd love for you to share with our listeners what your day-to-day looks like on a project.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And the way I like to think about it is I sort of alternate between playing cheerleader and quarterback. So in many instances, I'm cheering the team on, I'm trying to create the best environment for those clinical and supporting teams to get their work done. And that means coordinating and running meetings, building relationships with internal and external stakeholders, as well as validating workflows alongside our teams. But sometimes I really do get to jump in and help out wherever these teams need me. And when something comes up and there's no clear owner to take it on, I'm often the one doing that task or just working with teams to identify an owner and create a process around it. And with this project in particular, I've been able to work directly with members of infection prevention, nursing, biomedical engineering, facilities, HR, IT, um, so many more. So I think this role is definitely a jack of all trades kind of role.
0: Oh, I love that. And I I certainly agree. You get to learn so much about the system as a whole, and you get such fabulous partners. So you working on this project translates you developing relationships in the future that can be leveraged on future projects. So that's a great way to segue into our next question, which is people management. I feel like us as project managers, a large majority of our job is Correlling people, ensuring, to your point, that they're cheered on, they feel appreciated, but also that they're getting their job done. Um, One year in, can you share some lessons learned, um, some maybe roadblocks that you've had, and how you've gotten around those in the year to ensure that the work really does get done because you can't do it all, and your team really does rely on you to make sure those boxes are checked, the items are getting done, et cetera.
1: Sure, I think as far as getting the work done, making sure everyone's aware of who owns what is so key. And that's not just delegating the task, but also really following up. And I think you can't expect people to get things done if you don't make them aware of when will get done and what this one task relies on in the future and really giving them all the information they need to be both successful and motivated. Um, And I think in an industry where everyone is so passionate about what we're doing, and we care so deeply for the patients Um, People do have strong opinions, and I found that when folks are resistant to change or don't necessarily agree, it's usually because they don't feel they've been part of the conversation. So, when it does come to promoting that positive change, I think the best thing that we can do as healthcare leaders is to create those safe spaces where employees at every level feel included, especially the frontline staff who are going to be treating patients in these new spaces that we build.
0: Excellent advice. Definitely. I love how you're addressing proactive change resistance because. Um, change is hard. These new healthcare facilities, as we know, um, although bright and shiny, sometimes um, staff are really resistant to move into them. They like where they are, they feel comfortable where they are, and now they're in this new space and, you know, I don't know where my supplies are, or I didn't really agree with this decision, et cetera. So, making them part of the conversation at least uh, proactively mitigates that uh, future change resistance. Um, yeah. So having a project sponsor is critical to the success. You get to work with our sponsor at this project pretty much on a daily basis. Um, how have you escalated issues to our project sponsor?
1: I think first of all, having a supportive project sponsor is so key because there's such a wealth of knowledge and information, and they can also really rally their teams and other leaders of the organization to get things done when needed. So. I know that I've relied on our project sponsor to help me not only escalate issues, but also just navigate politics and really understand um, those more convoluted conversations. And then even just understanding how to deliver news, both good and bad, to a really large group of diverse teams. So um, our project sponsor has been so critical to the success of this project and having um, her to just go to with questions and escalate issues has been really important.
0: How have you managed some of the new and different terminology and, you know, you've been exposed to so much um, new things in terms of procedural, um, more complex environments, et cetera. Um, Any tips for, you know, learning all of that? It's a lot of information to digest and then suddenly become an expert on um, overnight. So how have you done that? I mean, you've done it so flawlessly over the last year.
1: No, I wouldn't say that. I have so much more to learn. But I think the best thing that anyone can do is just ask questions. And whether that's following up right after a meeting, say, hey, I heard these few terms, can we spend some time going over them? Or just reaching out to someone that you know is critical to the success of the project and just saying, will you give me a deep dive or a primer on your areas and why you're so critical here? Um, And I think, you know, it just comes over time. I definitely take notes. Um, I have a lot of definitions written down. And um, just knowing that no one expects you to know it all as the product manager is another um, really helpful thing.
0: I always encourage um, new team members that join our team to really leverage the experts. Um, you don't need to be an expert in everything to be successful in our industry. You just know, need to know who those experts are and have a relationship and feel comfortable enough to say, "Can you help me on this item?" Um, so that's a great point, Ellen.. Um, so- So what have been um, some of your favorite tools that you've gone to um, to manage this project?
1: Yeah, I think um, Smartsheets, and that's all the credit to you because you're the one that brought it into this project, um, has been such an intuitive tool for us because not only can you track things as well as you could in a spreadsheet, you can also directly tag people and you can create a little bit more accountability. um, And just over time to be able to gant things out on Smartsheets, um, it's just been a super helpful tool for us. And I think the other thing that we could not have lived without during this project is really the yellow book guides and templates that you all have provided to us. Um, Having templates for different workflows and different processes, different plans to present to our partners um, has been really helpful, especially when you're working with those clinical leaders that are so crunched for time.
0: Um, I was just having a conversation with somebody, a past client at healthcare facilities this past um, couple days. And I think she brought up an excellent point. The tools, when you develop them for a project, they can be leveraged in the future. So you're establishing a baseline that, that you can then plug and play for future projects. So although they're tedious and gosh, you're putting all this time and effort, the ROI really kind of pays off ultimately because Now you, as a program manager, have a whole toolkit that you can then bring to your next program that you're rolling out. How do you feel about that? Do you think you'll use some of these tools in the future?
1: Definitely. I was just about to say, I have already been creating a folder on my computer and saving all of the templates that I can see myself using in this new role. Um, I think project management, of course, can be applied to any type of role or industry or field. So having those templates and those samples is going to be so helpful.
0: So in the future, in your future role, um, can you tell us some of the skills that you probably will utilize in your new role as a project manager from our program manager from this project, some of the key skills you've learned?
1: Yeah, I think definitely building relationships is a huge one. Um, In my new role, I'll really be working with both our clinical and our administrative leaders to help implement more service line models across our health system And I think being able to build relationships with people, being able to speak a little bit of that clinical lingo that is so difficult to catch on to um, is gonna be so helpful, as well as just using those tools like Smartsheets, um, like those really in-depth Excel sheets and understanding how to delegate and really assign owners, follow up with tasks, um, all of that, really everything in this experience, I think is gonna be so useful to me for the rest of my career.
0: Well, um, if somebody was just starting out and they were interested in possibly learning more about transition and activation, um, what advice would you give them?
1: I would say that when you're getting involved in any transition and activation project, it's so key to understanding that historical context behind the inception of the project, the planning and design phase. Um, It really speaks so much to both the work that's happening in the present, As well as why folks think a certain way, why some folks may be more resistant to change than others. Um, I think I could not have been successful in this project without really sitting down with those leaders that were involved from the very beginning and understanding the process from dealing with COVID and having to put a pause on a lot of things um, to dealing with those supply chain issues to the entire background of the service line that we're trying to transform. my biggest piece of advice would be ask questions and re- really develop that contextual understanding of the project.
0: You touched on design and I have to ask another question. Um, that is an excellent point. I, I think so much of the information that we do during operation planning, workflow planning, all of that is already kind of preconceived, right? They had an idea and we're bringing it to life in the space with the people. Um, What have you thought about all of that as you reflected on looking at some of those basis of designs for the space, et cetera?
1: Well, it's so interesting because oftentimes either the people who design the workflow are no longer part of the project or um, best practices have changed and we're no longer putting things in a certain place or we're no longer doing things that way. Um, So it's been really interesting and I think being flexible and adapting has been really key, especially for our clinical teams, as they've had to watch this space slowly come to life and then see these decisions and have to make changes on the fly. Um, So, yeah, I think it's really just about being flexible.
0: Absolutely, I I definitely agree, and um, you know with healthcare specifically in California, there's such a long lead time. um, You're 100% right. People um, that were part of design usually are not there at day one activation. So some of those things do change, and process owners change, and now we have new opinions. Um, So it's so dynamic, and flexibility, adaptability is so critical to the success. I think as a transition and activation leader. Um, so kudos to you for already knowing that. Thank so you. we are going to move on to some fun for our ending, Ellen. We always like to end with some rapid fire questions to give our listeners an opportunity to get to know you better. Um, and then also just to just have some fun. It's always good to end on a positive and, and you know, having some new information learned about Ellen. So what do you think? Awesome. Let's do it. Okay. So question number one, who is on your work playlist?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, Lately, it's been Sam Smith all the way. His voice is the voice of an angel and I can really put it on low volume and I feel so zen and so in
0: the zone. I don't know very many Sam Smith songs other than the ones that I've heard like on the radio, et cetera. So I definitely will have to try and learn a little bit more about Sam Smith. Very Okay, a dream vacation spot that you haven't been already.
1: My mom and I have always talked about climbing Mount Kilimanjaro together. And I know that's not very relaxing vacation, but it is an intense trip, which is sort of my family's speed. And so I would love to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. It's in Tanzania, Mm -hmm. and it's one of the highest five or seven weeks I I would love to do.
0: Yeah. The seven like peaks, the tallest peaks in the world, correct? Oh, wow. That is intense. That would require like prep, beyond prep, lots of project management to get you ready for that.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. People buy these crazy machines and they simulate being in the high altitude and it's definitely an intense planning process. So,
0: yeah. Well, if you do end up doing that, you definitely have to post it on LinkedIn so we can uh, see and celebrate your accomplishment. Um, Podcasts or audiobooks? Ooh,
1: podcasts. Um, I do really enjoy the modern healthcare podcast, but that's a very, you know, healthcare admin answer. Um, I also love a podcast called It's Me Tinks. That's by one of my favorite people on Instagram, Tinks, um, as well as Girls Gotta Eat, just two young women, best friends, and um, talking about lots of um, things that come up when you're a female in your 20s.
0: Oh, very good. Those are like fun podcasts. I feel like mine are always dark and dreary or, you know, to your point, like work related. So that's do
1: like murder mystery or any of that creepy stuff.
0: Um, yes, that I just finished up like a true crime podcast and it was, um, like, I feel like I haven't been able to sleep. So
1: that would be my problem.
0: <laughs> um, do you prefer to watch sports or participate in sports? And after your, your second answer, I, I think I know the answer.
1: You know. Yeah, I think I prefer to participate. Certain sports, love to watch them. I love baseball. Go no Dodgers. Um, but I do, I do love being active and being outside. Especially growing up in Southern California, there's just so much to do here that's active.
0: You have a favorite sport? Other like that you'd like to play, or do you play baseball?
1: Um, no, I do not play baseball. I actually grew up a figure skater, so that is my favorite sport. Um, oh. Yeah, not very typical SoCal, but um, I did grow up a figure skater, and to this day, I love getting out on the ice.
0: Oh, that is so cool. Very, very cool. Okay, if you could have any animal as a pet you wanted, what would it be?
1: Oh, gosh. I, I think a giraffe. Um, they're just so majestic and I have this dream that I could wake up in my house every day and if it was a two-story house, the giraffe could poke its head in the window every morning and greet me.
0: Oh, well, that would be very cool. A giraffe mm-hmm. is a very unique answer. Um, mm-hmm. it's Thanksgiving coming up. What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? Uh,
1: my mom makes this whipped sweet potato pasta bowl, and it's the most delicious thing I've ever tasted and she'll only make it once a year.
0: That is why I love Thanksgiving food, because you really only eat it once a year. So it's so good. Oh, true. It's delicious. Okay. And the most cheesy question of all, this year I am most thankful for.
1: Oh. My family. This has been a year with a lot of change. and. Um... And moving back to Los Angeles after living in different places for so long, I think I've really gotten to get closer to my parents in that new sort of adult way. And it's been really exciting. We go to concerts together. Um, We went to Imagine Dragons a couple of weeks ago, the three of us. So it's been really fun bonding with them.
0: Oh, well, that's great. Well, Ellen's parents, if you're listening, you should be proud. She's amazing. Um, well, Ellen, it's been so nice to talk to you. Um, I get to talk to you pretty much on a daily basis, but talk to you about not work related things. Um, I appreciate your time. Should our listeners want to connect with you further about you, uh, your experience? Do you have a LinkedIn that they connect you that they I can do. connect you with?
1: Yes, definitely. You can find me, um, Ellen Camerano on LinkedIn, and I'd be happy to connect and talk about all things, transition and activation planning.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Ellen. Thank you so much for being on this episode of Transition Tea. On our next episode, as always, we'll be joined by another healthcare leader and chat over everything transition and activation. We thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear more conversations like this one with Ellen, please subscribe to our Transition Tea podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to enjoy your podcast. And if you actually want to see this video, we do have a YouTube. So please like and subscribe at our Yellow Brick channel. Until next time, cheers.